Good morning. The reading for today is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 31 and 37 through 39. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever dares not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Melvion's done. He's done, right? All right. That's right. Hey, I tell you, um, one of the joys of being in a cross-cultural community um, is to pray for the nation of Eritrea as the third uh, highest on the list of persecuted nations, and then to be able to look up at brothers and sisters whose families are from Eritrea, uh, Sinai, and to meet, and to make those prayers that much more personal. This is family business. This is family business. All right. We're looking at Matthew 10, continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be closing that up just in two short weeks as we head towards the Thanksgiving holiday. So let's look at Matthew 10 together. And first, let me pray. Jesus, we ask for you to be present in this time. We pray that your word would pierce our hearts. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would send your spirit and change our hearts, change our lives, change this 
world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Asia Noreen Bibi is a 45-year-old Christian woman in Pakistan. She, her husband, and her five children were the only Christians in their village in the province of Punjab. While harvesting berries with other farmhands in a field one day, she was asked to fetch water from a nearby well. When she stopped to take a drink herself and then offered another woman a drink as well, a coworker angrily objected that it was forbidden for a Christian to drink water from the same utensils as Muslims. That the mere touch of a Christian, in fact, made the water religiously forbidden. Asya repeatedly was told to convert to Islam in order to become ritually purified. She refused, saying to them, I believe in my religion and in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Her refusal was seen as an insult to Islam and the prophet Muhammad. She and her family were later beaten by a mob. She was convicted of blasphemy and sentenced to death by hanging. Asya has since waited in prison now almost seven years, sometimes in solitary confinement, while her case is being appealed. Her appeal before Pakistan's Supreme Court, her last chance to avoid execution, was scheduled for October 13th, just three weeks ago. It was postponed at the last minute. Please pray for our sister in Christ, Asya Bibi. Asya's plight is not unique, of course. Over 5.3 billion people, 76% of the world's population, live in countries with a high or very high level of restrictions on religion. It's estimated that over 100 million Christians, like Sister Asya, are persecuted daily for their faith in Jesus. They are harassed, isolated, discriminated against, arrested, abducted, forced into marriages, disowned, beaten, imprisoned, tortured, raped, enslaved, and killed. It's believed that each month worldwide, 772 forms of violence are committed against uh, Christians. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed, and 332 Christians are killed because of their loyalty to Jesus, again, every month. If you are a Christian, these aren't just statistics, are they? These are your brothers and sisters. The, this is your family your persecuted family. And they aren't just persecuted for their faith, you know. They are persevering in their faith. And they ask that you pray with them 
and not just for them. In today's passage, Jesus is telling his disciples about the hostility that they will, in fact, face. He sheds light on the experience of persecution, its realities. Yes, its horrors. And he does so not only for his original inner circle of 12 followers, but also for modern disciples like Asya. And in fact, for you and me as well, because he's speaking to us too, of course, that we might pray more effectively for persecuted Christians and that we ourselves, even in the United States, might be better equipped to endure hostility for faith in Christ if or when it comes. I want to make a couple observations from this passage, from this critical teaching of Jesus's. Of course, we'll have some Q&A questions right afterwards. But eight observations, things that Jesus teaches us about persecution for Jesus's sake. Number one, persecution for one's faith in Christ is not an accident. Persecution for faith in Christ is not an accident. Jesus said in verse 16, I am sending you out. I am sending you like sheep among wolves. Jesus knew his followers would face hostility. We should know this too. As Karen Ellis, a friend and colleague who researches and writes on the persecuted church, recently wrote, it is possible for a Christian not to experience a hostile culture in his or her lifetime, and persecution or marginalization shouldn't be misunderstood as measures of holiness. However, if a Christian does experience persecution, he or she shouldn't be surprised. A servant is not above his master, nor a disciple above his teacher. We shouldn't be surprised, nor should we think that Jesus is surprised. He says in verse 17, you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And in verse 19, the disciples are told when they arrest you, not if they arrest you. And they were every single one of them even martyred for their faith in him. Because Jesus predicts these events, writes one commentator, we know he controls these events. Jesus' purposes in our sufferings often confound us, confuse us, but this much is clear. Jesus is in control. Which means persecuted Christians may be objects of hostility or hate, but this they are not. They are not victims. Dear Sister Asya, Jesus is in control. Number two, Jesus never makes light of persecution. He never makes light of persecution. He never calls you to fling yourself mindlessly towards suffering with a sort of masochistic recklessness. Rather, he tells his followers in verse 16 to be shrewd as snakes, and in verse 17, to be on your guard. 
And in verse 23, he reminds us that sometimes, sometimes it's right to run. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. And yet Jesus also tells his followers not simply to live for self-preservation or to strive to eliminate risk completely. Be innocent as doves, he says. Do you know doves were known as birds who were the last to fly away? Number three, but what is persecution? Jesus describes persecution here as mistreatment for one's faith in him and identification with him. In verse 18, Jesus says, On my account, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings. And in verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of your obnoxiousness. No. Because of me. Jesus is reminding us that when you are persecuted, you are suffering because of Jesus, suffering in Jesus' name. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master, verse 24. The same idea is echoed in John 15, verse 18 to 20, when Jesus said in another place, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If the master is reviled, so also will his servants be. And his servants cannot be expected to be treated any better than their master, and their master was crucified. And it's good to remember, therefore... That as personal as persecution is, embodied and experienced even in your own personal flesh, and yet the hostility and opposition thrown against you is not ultimately about you. They persecute you, Jesus says, because of me. It is not you, dear Asia, but Jesus in you that your persecutors oppose. Take heart. More than that, as Matthew 5, verse 11 to 12 has told us as we studied the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. What? What? Rejoice and be glad. Because it feels so good? No. Because for your reward is great in heaven. Dear Sister Ozia, heaven is coming soon. Rejoice 
and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. Number four, some of the most agonizing persecution is not assault by a stranger, but rather betrayal by a loved one. As Jesus tells us in verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And when this happens, persecuted Christians cling to Jesus' vision of the church from Matthew 12, which we heard about when Pastor Yancey brought it so powerfully to us several weeks ago. This passage when Jesus asked, who is my mother and my brothers, and who are my brothers? And then pointed to his disciples saying, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, when you lose a family because of loyalty to Jesus, you need a family who is loyal to Jesus. Dear Sister Asya, your family in Christ is praying for you. Number five, fifthly, surprisingly, surprisingly, Jesus' chief concern is not the physical or emotional well-being of the persecuted. Hmm. If it were, he would not have sent out his people like sheep among wolves in the first place. Instead, Jesus' central concern is twofold. First, your perseverance in faith and loyalty to Jesus, even in the face of suffering. And second, your witness to your persecutors. We hear his concern for perseverance of the persecuted in verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And we hear Jesus' concern for the witness of the persecuted in verse 19 to 20. Do not worry about what to say and how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. What's amazing to me is how consistently persecuted Christians around the world speak to these priorities. You saw some of it and heard about it in the video that we just witnessed. Don't pray for our relief alone. Don't pray for our rescue alone. Don't pray that the church would be safe. Pray that we will persevere. Pray that we will love our enemies. Pray that we will stand firm in our faith. Pray that we will make every opportunity to make the most of every opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. Pray for the conversion of our prison guards, for those who revile us, who are opposed to us. You need supernatural grace to speak like that, don't you? You need the grace of God to have priorities like that, don't you? Don't you want it? Don't you want to be like them? Dear Sister Asya, 
we pray for your endurance and your witness. Jesus promises, number six, Jesus promises us unique grace for such times. There's grace available to you in moments of hostility and opposition. Sometimes when standing before a hostile tribunal, Jesus explained, his disciples would need to provide a judicial defense, but in such moments, Jesus promises to help them. He says this in verses 19 to 20, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. You will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Among other things, what this tells us is that you do not need to feel pre-qualified to suffer persecution faithfully. Jesus will meet you in the moment. You do not need to feel ready today for what you might face tomorrow. Your Father will give it to you when you need it. The words, the strength, the courage. Jesus doesn't only call you to remain faithful despite opposition. He gives you real-time grace to remain faithful despite opposition. Sister Asya, we trust that God will give you grace for what you need today. Number seven, Jesus, though his chief concern is not the physical or emotional well-being of the persecuted, number five, number seven, he is yet sympathetic to our fears of those who intend to harm us. When Jesus speaks about persecutors, notice he does not say, I will rescue you from them. He says, do not be afraid of them. In fact, he says it three times in verses 26, 28, and 31. Do not be afraid of them. And he gives us several reasons for why we can overcome our fears. First, he points us to the future day when all truth and reality will be disclosed. Verse 26, do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Everything will become public on the last day. Which means, of course, no misdeed will remain hidden. God will hold your persecutors accountable. And you will be publicly vindicated for your faithfulness to the truth. That day is coming. Do not be afraid. Secondly, he says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, verse 28, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear your persecutors, in other words. They cannot ultimately harm you. They can kill the body, but don't you know that if you're in Christ, Jesus will raise your bodies to life one day. Indeed, the promise of the gospel is that to die now 
even tragically and violently, is but to hurry the first day of the rest of your days face to face with Christ in glory. That's good news. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor who was jailed and then executed for helping Jews escape from Nazi genocide, once wrote from prison these words, Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God, and those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. He is talking, and Jesus is talking, of course, not of a slavish terror of God, but rather an awe-filled, trembling, honoring of God as the sovereign king who reigns over all things, the judge of the world, and the savior of sinners. Is he greater than, is he the greatest than, even over those who wield such hate and hostility against you. And he also points us to the Father's care. The good news of God's grace is that Jesus purchased us not only forgiveness, he purchases us a new relationship with the Father. That the God who is the judge of the world becomes an affectionate, security-giving Father, Heavenly Father. He reminds us, you are valuable to him. He cares for you. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Dear Sister Asya, don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Your father cares for you. Don't be afraid. Your father's son died for you. Number eight, and lastly, the pain of persecution reveals your heart's deepest loyalties. The pain of persecution, the threat of persecution, reveals your heart's deepest loyalties. Jesus indicates so in verses 37 to 39 when he says this, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. By which Jesus means, of course, that his followers must love him supremely. Yes, more than family. more than career, more than possessions, more than life itself. And whoever loves family or security or prosperity more than Jesus is not fit to be his followers. Yes, we may falter, and we do. We at times may fail. But a true disciple is willing and ready to follow Jesus 
and increasingly so as we grow in faith and faithfulness. The true disciple is willing and ready to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Whoever finds their life, Jesus says, whoever seeks only to preserve and to prolong it and to control over it will in fact lose their life. But whoever loses their life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. Will find life eternal. Will find life as it was always meant to be. Lived under the grace of God and the reign of God. Living in true community and in communion with God and with one another. Even if you're not yet on board with the Christian faith today, don't you want something, something this durable in your life? Something for which you'd be willing to risk all. And if you are a professing Christian, you know you have this durable thing, the promises, the unbreakable promises of the gospel of grace. Now, in light of that, are you willing to risk all? And how do you do that but to remember? And how do you do that but to remember that Jesus never asks you to do anything that he himself hasn't already done for you to infinity and beyond? Jesus stood, don't you know, not before the counsels of man, but the counsel of God and his angels. And though he had never sinned, not once, he was condemned for sin, not his but ours, in the court of heaven, in my place, in your place, if you would put your trust in him so, if you would elect him as your representative in the courtroom of heaven. Jesus calls you to lose your life that you might find it. Do you know Jesus lost his life for your sake? He calls you to take up your cross to follow him. Jesus literally took up his, took up his cross to die for your sins, to pay the price that you and I could never pay. Jesus suffered not just the rejection of man, not just the wrath of man. He suffered rather the wrath of God and the hellish rejection of his father on the cross as he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me that you and I might never be forsaken even in the face of persecution? Because he won't ever let you alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even when you're forsaken by every last person around you. You possess a love for Jesus and a loyalty to Jesus that makes you willing. Joyfully willing to lose your reputation for his sake, to lose your popularity in the office place, the workplace, in the home place, to lose your job, your relationships, 
your own life? Have you experienced the lavish love of Jesus that would compel you to do so? You know, there's a lot of angst across the country about the coming election, right? This is uniquely so among American Christians, many of whom are just terribly anxious for what the church has lost and what must be regained in regards to social prominence and moral authority in society. And so, in fact, many churches today around the country are devoting their pulpits to politics. But I cannot imagine a more valuable way to frame up the upcoming election than by pondering and praying for the persecuted church. Because the persecuted church teaches us, does it not, that Christians in the West are far too accustomed to social privilege and acceptance. That we have quietly believed in a sort of prosperity gospel that informs us that our faith is not it ought to be comfortable, ought to be easy. A prosperity gospel that teaches us not to be uncomfortable with the prospect of suffering. Religious freedom is a blessing and worth protecting, but the persecuted church teaches us that religious freedom is not essential for Christian faithfulness doesn't it? And Christian influence in society is valuable. It is. But persecuted Christians daily teach us that God often shows up with the greatest power in the margins of society. The persecuted church teaches us that vibrant faithfulness to Jesus is possible in the margins, even in the face of death. You see, the American church needs the persecuted church. We not only pray for persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, we learn from them. Asya is our teacher, is she not? And these suffering brothers and sisters in Christ deserve not your pity, but your praise. They should most be known not for their pain, but for their perseverance, will you tell their story and rewrite the script? And we should work for their rescue, yes. But we should pray most for their resilience, for their faith in Christ, that it and they would not falter. I'm sending you out, Jesus said, like sheep among wolves. Fear not. Fear not. You are worth more than many sparrows. Fear not those who would kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear not. Your Father cares for you. Jesus died for you. Do you believe this? Can you suffer like this? Can you find solidarity with those, your brothers and sisters, who suffer so? Let's pray.
So Jesus, we look to you. The one who suffered for us. That our suffering would never be meaningless. That we might suffer with hope. Knowing that people can take all things from us. But they cannot take anything ultimate from us. We pray that you would make us into a body. Even this church, a body that boasts that we bear on our bodies the stripes of Jesus Christ. That we would suffer well and suffer with those well who bear the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.